Hello you, and welcome back to episode two of Unaffiliated, the freelance show. The podcast all about the world of freelancing, straight from the horse's mouth, figuratively speaking. I'm Eve Pullen, and I'm here to bring you as much information with as much detail as possible about what working for yourself means in 2020. Along the way, I'll be interviewing a variety of people who are doing just that. This episode, my guest is Javen, a singer-songwriter from Bristol. You can find him on Instagram at Javen Music and Twitter at Javen, and of course on Spotify and Apple Music too. Now, obviously, with us all locked away and hashtag staying home, these interviews are being recorded over the web, so apologies if the quality is a little fuzzy at times. I'm sure everyone is getting used to a slightly reduced quality in their media consumption as we all figure out how best to bring things to you remotely. So enjoy, rate, review and subscribe. Hi, my name is Javen. I'm a singer and songwriter, master head chef of life, Pokemon master extraordinaire. And um, I'm still working on the other things. (laughs) Okay, so... How did you get into what you're doing now? Like, how did you start off? What was your first sort of, I need to do something that's not working in a job for someone else? Like, I've got something else that I'm passionate about or I want to do something with. Um, well, it started way back when I was in primary school. Um, I It's kind of like a nurture thing. You know, I was brought up in a... Um, working class family um, so while my cousin's parents and my parents were off working and stuff we were all together with uh, at my nan's house with not much to entertain ourselves apart from music you know um, so we'd make up dances we'd sing and stuff and I always just kind of thought that everybody sung until I had like a, a school um, leavers assembly and in my school um, the years in my primary school um, the years were mixed so you have year one two three, four, five, six. So I got two Leavers Assemblies. So when I was, uh, when I did my first Leavers Assembly, I sung a song with a friend and everyone was really surprised because I'd never sung in front of everyone before. And I was like, doesn't everybody else do this? Because I was so used to doing that with my family and also some of my friends that I grew up with before that. So it just kind of, it was one of those things where it's just what I was doing, you know, before I had to ever, long before I was ever thinking about a job, you know, I just always wanted to just be a musician, you know, I wanted to be a singer. And then as I got older and older, um, it just became a thing that I was still loving, still interested. And there were new things um, being revealed that you can do as a part of this job. Like you don't just have to be the front man. You could be a singer, you know, you could like, there's so many other jobs, you know, you could be a producer, um, you could be a technician, you can be a manager. There's all of these things. And it just became really interesting to me. And the goal, like everyone was just to be famous, you know? So you start on that and then you grow up and get real, you know? (laughs) And it's like, you know what? I would actually just to like, I just, like to do this and get paid a little bit, you know, um, so I can do this as much as I can. So um, that's a very long way around answering that question. Um, but yeah, I've just, yeah, I've just kind of been developing with this idea. So, I mean, obviously we met working in the joy of retail with me and a student job and you were just doing sort of bits and bobs along the way. Have you found that sort of necessary kind of go for? Like I was having this chat with, um, someone else I was interviewing for this and we were talking about how the trope of the like the starving artist of 
I'll, I'll suffer, I'll do anything as long as I can just be creative and I can do my work. It's not a reality for everyone. Actually, I, I want a roof over my head. I want to be able to go to the pub. Absolutely. Um, so that's a very interesting question. Um, and it just started out. I was like, all right, I just need a little bit extra money. I was living at my, my mum's, um, up until like 25, 26. And, um, I needed to pay some housekeeping money, you know? So obviously I got a job and I liked going out, having a beer after work. So I, I, I did that. But then over the years and I'm especially like, after that, I was, what was I doing? Yeah, then I got signed and I was um, a professional. I was just working in music full time, basically. And I was doing that for about three, four years. And then having to go back when things slowed down, where I was in life, it was just different. It was different. So I was like, right, I need to work a job that gives me as much time that I could just sort of like go, all right, tomorrow I need to be in London, you know, um, that doesn't really take that much bra- uh, brain power away from me, but gives me a bit of freedom and also some income as well. But also, like, when I was getting approaching 30, and I was just like, you know what, I like having a lifestyle, like, I like the certain lifestyle that I have, you know, I like being able to go out for dinner with my girlfriend, you know, I, I, I like going to the pub with my friends whenever I want if my friends are like, yo, we're going to go on holiday. I got sick and tired of being like, I ain't got it, man. <laughs> I ain't got the money, you know? So it's just, it gets to a point for every musician or every creative where you have to just get real with yourself. If this is actually what you want to do, then you just have to reassess where you are, what you need to do, be organized. And if getting a part-time job is a part of doing what you need to do, then you have to look at it like that. You can't just free fall forever and hope to just land in the place where you're hoping to land, you know? No, you have to, you have to somewhat be the designer of your future, you know? So that's what it's kind of become for me. And in doing that, I feel a lot less stressed, a lot less stressed because everything has their box. You know, everything has its box. And in doing that and not being stressed, I've done a lot better in music in the last few years, you know, and I've worked a little less. And the job that I do do now on the side is still to do with music, you know, and I get to help people, which is great. Yeah, not just a case of, oh, the money I get in from the work, the creative work I do needs to be able to pay for my, you know, my supplies, whether it's art supplies, tech stuff microphones instruments anything like that it's not just money for that it's money for actually living a life and like getting quality of life out of it as well as you say absolutely quality of life over everything i say over everything definitely (laughs) so after your double leaving assembly experience (laughs) (laughs) um where did you go from there obviously that was end of primary school so you went secondary school or music school or yeah, um, music school came a little bit later, um, and I was more like college, but, um, yeah, in secondary school, it was just a normal sort of, um, state school, uh, technology college, and it was, yeah, it was cool, and one thing I kind of learned is that I learned that I really like sports, so I was doing a lot of sports, um, and I learned that I really like drama, you know, cause I didn't do any drama in primary school, um, and it was just amazing, you know, so I did that there, and, at that point, when I reached year seven, one of my friends from primary school started um, a music crew. 
So he asked me if I wanted to join them as a singer, and then I joined them as a singer, and they were all MCs, and then naturally I became an MC, and then we met up every Monday and went to like a youth club, and like we'd record sets on um on a tape for an hour of us just doing just showcasing what we wanted to do. Um, the aim then was just to be able to get some studio time and record a demo, that kind of thing. And at that point, musically, what we were into, um, it was like Garage and So Solid Crew was the one. And that's who we kind of saw ourselves being because there were loads of us. There was about 30 of us. It was crazy. Um, and then it just kind of developed from there, you know. You know, we stopped going to youth clubs and then we started to actually get booked for shows, you know. In school, I'd get um, GCSE. I was able to record myself. And um, I was um, being open to um, or exposed to a lot more different types of music. So I joined different bands and stuff in school and out of school as well. I was in a rock band um, at one point, a soul band, um, a a, a rap group as well, um, aside from the other group that I was in. And it just kept developing. I just realized that I was just this sponge, you know, Um, people that I grew up with from primary school that I joined the group crew with and people that I went to school with, they were both, they were, a lot of them on both sides were very close minded. They like one type of music, one type of music. And I saw myself being in the middle and I was like, I never spoke about it, but I was like, this is such an amazing opportunity that I get to bring that, I get to bring that, I get to bring that in. And then when I started making my own music, like in probably 17, so, um, year, uh, first year of A levels. Um, when it got to that, I was just like, my music, what I was listening to started coming out in my music and start with, I didn't like that it was different from everyone else's, you know, cause it just sounded random and I hadn't figured a way of putting it together yet, you know, and then, um, yeah, I just kept doing it and it just started getting tighter and tighter. And so, yeah, I, it was more of a development. It, it didn't, it didn't sort of start from the moment I joined secondary school that this is what I want to do, you know? It's just a part of me, and it's more, it became a thing of how do I develop. No, I think that it's the same for a lot of creatives. You are the sum of your experiences, as the phrase goes, but to be truly creative, you have to be open to absorbing everything around you, as you say. And I think, as you say, like closing yourself off and deciding on one style, particularly at that age as a teenager, and going, no, this is all I'm going to do, all that does is like cut you off from the possibility of new experiences and you know, learning new things and being able to use the things that you learn and putting that into your own creations. From there, being booked for stuff in Bristol or anywhere else? Yeah, yeah. So from um, the start of secondary school to when we ended which was in year 13 so that is like 12 year old to an 18 year old yeah started in youth clubs and then we were starting to get booked like for um garage grime nights hip-hop nights um in the center of town and we're doing that and that's how we got our first experiences and um then something interesting happened um at that point, I was very reliant on my group. And then, like I said, in year 13, which was 2006, um, they became my close friends. So even though we weren't 
still as a crew, we were still hanging around each other. Um, the DJ in my group, he got booked for a different kind of night. So with grime music at that point, it was very clicky. Um, unless you were in London or in the bigger cities, especially London, you weren't really getting a look in, you know, and the people in your city didn't really want to support you, you know, so you had to work really, really hard. Um, dubstep came around. Right. And uh, dubstep wasn't the loud thing that everybody, the loud screechy sort of sounding thing at first. It, it, it developed into that. But at first it was really cool. It was kind of it was more like dubby, dubby music, you know. Um, and then I started hosting for my friend. And this was my first sort of platform where I was on the stage on my own, you know, and I, the crowd were actually loving what we did. And I was like, this is crazy. I, I actually love it. And, and I actually turned around to my friend. I was like, like, they're giving me a round of applause. Are they taking the piss? Like, I, I'd gotten so used to a crowd that didn't give me anything that that's what I was accustomed to, to now. And anything else was crazy. Like, I'm not massive. You know, they were like, well done, mate. Well done. You got a mic and you're shouting, you know. <laughs> so from there, um, it just kind of, um, I think it gave me a sense of independence. And I didn't have other my other peers to sort of rely on so I was doing more of the hosting stuff with DJs and I was joining bands um there was a guy called JB Love and I joined his band as like a backing singer he was a singer and um he had this band and he is actually Jacob Anderson and he is um Grey Worm in Game of Thrones and so it got to I think I was in music college at this point. So this was like the year after sixth form, so 2007. Um, and he left to um, go and be an actor. And um, I think he was doing kid adulthood at that point. And um, when he left, the guy who ran the band, he was like, do you want to just do your songs? And I was like, yeah, cool, whatever, you know. And then all of a sudden, it was like, it was me and my band and my music. And I was like, wow, I've never had this attention before, you know? So it just kept developing and it was just really, really interesting for me because I was really enjoying and loving the experience of, like, because I've never, like, I started out as being really, really bad and I needed a lot of, like, help, you know? I Like, I wasn't a great singer, I wasn't a great MC, but I had so much confidence and so much belief that I think people bought into it, I kind of think, maybe. Um, or maybe people are just shit and they just didn't tell me, you know? <laughs> then I got better and better and better. And um, with this band, I excelled really quickly and um, we started playing festivals. Um, I did my first festival at Glastonbury and it was just an amazing, amazing experience, you know? So, yeah, from there, just... But I could keep going because it just kept going up and up. But um, I, I'm very aware you got other questions to ask. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's really interesting to hear, because obviously I know bits and pieces of sort of what you've done, and I've seen, especially over lockdown, you've been doing... You've been very active on social media. You've been doing Instagram Live DJ sets and things like that. But I also have seen a couple of, like, chats you've done with some other guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, it's been... It's really interesting to find out like obviously it's always interesting to find out what your friends have been up to in their past but just to find out like how really you really can jump and grow and suddenly like you hit the ground running and you're like shit everything's happening at once and it's all good and I don't quite understand how this has happened yes yeah 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 I think the great thing that comes out of that starts with a mindset and it can't be just like I'm doing this for that 
you know? Like, when you're younger, you just get into it. Yeah, of course, I want to be famous. But when you get to, uh, I don't know, between 18 and 20, between 18 and 21, it's like, right, I've decided I've been doing this from I was 11 years old. So I made the conscious decision that this is what I want to spend my life doing. So I need a mind frame that kind of facilitates me to um, do all of these things to go towards a sustainable goal, you know? So I can't just be free falling, as I said before, can't just be free falling. And there needs to be some kind of strategy. And in knowing that it gave me peace of mind. Yeah, you've got kind of a rough path ahead of you. Yeah. To follow. And also, you know, each success gives you the confidence to think the next thing you try isn't going to flop completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though it happens, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes you put you put more effort into the next thing and the next thing. And even if every now and again it kind of goes to shit a bit and you're like, but the next one will work. And it gives you the every now and again the occasional success. Just I find it, it pushes you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I heard this quote somewhere I can't remember who said it um but it was really interesting and they were saying that they I failed and failed and failed my way to the top I think it was um Barry Gordy actually the guy who started Motown I failed my way to the top and that really like resonated with me because I've done so many things I've had so many releases I've started so many things and put all my energy into it didn't work out didn't get down about it just went on to the next thing you know and with each thing led to, um, uh, I, I guess, new information. And each time it was involving me, you know. Um, so the next time I had a new situation, without even knowing it, like, I was going at it in a different angle. And if it wasn't for the previous thing that I did, I might not have handled that in that way. And I might not have been a little bit more successful with the thing after that, you know. Exactly. Yeah, you learn along the way. One of my great-grandmother's favorite phrases was, it's not a sin to make a mistake, but it's a sin not to learn from it. Uh, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the, same, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But I like the way she said it, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Catholics in the family. <laughs> 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 we're Irish on one side and Catholics on the other. We were always going to be guilty. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any any like proper horror stories that you're comfortable to share? Like anything along the way that really went to shit or just was a bad experience for you that you just had to walk away from or Yeah, yeah. Um I'm sure there were some um uh, there was a couple. Um there was a couple. I'll share both of them. Um <laughs> really heartbreaking at the time one of them I just had to swallow and move on right so the first time someone brought me to the studio um I was probably about 13 I was 13 so I was in year eight um and through a friend in my crew that I was in um we went to St Paul's Festival and I, I met a, um, a good friend of his and um I became friends with him and every time I I've always been a networker and I always get on I've always been able to get on with people fairly well. Um so I remember taking his number and then we meet up outside and he just said one day he was like, Yo, I'm going to studio, my brother has got this studio and like they're doing really well. Everyone in the studio, do you wanna come through? Um as a singer. So I just thought I'd just go there and just watch them do their thing. But yeah, I went there, sat there, and then there was this producer, and I was chatting to him while I was, I was a little bit quiet, actually. 
but like he's asking me questions and I was like, like one word answer is that kind of thing. And then, um, he was like, Oh, so what do you do? Do you rap? And I was like, nah, I sing. And he was like, Oh, 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 you're a singer. And then someone else came in the room and then he was asking him a question. He was, Hang on a minute. He's going to sing. He's a singer. I'm 13 years old. I just told you, right, that I wasn't that great. I wasn't actually that great. All right. So I, the moment I started singing, I was like, oh, shit, this is terrible. This is really bad. This isn't like when I'm in my room. It feels different. I know it sounds different, but I can't stop now. I have to maintain the terrible singing. But I did it. And then I finished. And then everyone was silent in the room. And um, everything got back to normal after about five minutes. And then I just had this burning qu- desire to ask them what they thought. And as I asked it, I was like, why did I ask that? I know the, I know the answer. <laughs> and um, one of them was like, yeah, 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 that was all right. That was, that was all right. And then the producer was like, he's lying to you. He's lying in your face. <laughs> I was like, mm, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, I know. I, I saw the body language, you know, I felt the lies, you know, but I kind of use things like that and just, carried on it didn't crumble me you know because this is what i love to do there was no way of me stopping you know um so that's one horror story the next thing that i felt was really really difficult was when i was a little bit older and after i signed my first deal i'd done so many amazing things i never thought that i'd be able to do um i went to new york to do music and record and i never like i like I said before, I didn't come from a family with money or anything like that. I, I had a part-time job at the time, wasn't giving me much money. So I just never thought I'd be traveling, you know, like a lot of people from where I've grown up and in my family, like we don't go anywhere, you know, we stay in our community and that's kind of it. Um, So I got to do stuff like that. I got to tour and like tour with Clean Bandit in like 3000 capacity venues. And it was mental. It was absolutely mental. And I was on radio and hearing how the radio presenters really love my music. I was being interviewed by loads of people and it was just great. And then when things started slowing down, so at this point, the people that managed me and um, signed me to their label, they were the same people. Most sometimes they're different, but in this case, they were the same people. We became like family. I was sleeping at their house, at the parents' house and stuff like that. We were like family, spoke to each other every single day. And then when things started slowing down, we went from speaking like five times a week to maybe twice in a month. And I felt that. And there have been so many other horror stories that you just hear in music and outside of the music, how people get shelved. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be that person. So I let that go on for a month and then I called them up. And as much as I wanted that tie into the major industry um, and that platform to get my music out, I was just like, I can't do this. So I called them up and I was like, look, I appreciate everything you've done for me, but I've noticed that the, the communication hasn't been as good as there has been. Um, but I've got to keep my thing going. So I think it's best that we part ways, you know? And, um, they were really nice. I'm still, we're still really cool with each other, but I was heartbroken. I was absolutely heartbroken and I've never felt a, a feeling like that before. Never. Like even my first girlfriend dumped me. Like I never felt pain. I thought at that point, 
there's not a feeling that beats this. But yeah, that was, it was an emotional, it was on an emotional level and I couldn't really communicate and I've never really been the kind of, I'm a lot better now, but I'm not really the kind of person naturally that speaks about my feelings and stuff. I'm there for everybody else and I'm happy. I put on a brave face, but I don't really deal with my feelings. I just swallow it and get on with it, you know? But yeah, that was really, really hard for me and it took quite a lot. Um, and, um, I had some really good people around me to pull me out of it. And um, I came out of it by starting a new project, you know, but this time round, I was actually thinking about the things that I was feeling instead of neglecting it, you know, but that was a pretty difficult um, time for me. Mm. So um, um, I know that they did everything that they could do because there's no hard feelings still. Um, they did everything they could do. But I think for me at that point, um, and I think for a lot of creatives as well, it's just, I think, just having full disclosure, you know? Having full disclosure, just like, look, we did all we can. We did all we could. There's nothing else that we could do. And I think it's best that we just do our own things right now, you know? Because there's so many people in the creative industries that put their heart and soul into things. They they get dialogue going. They get people working with them and get repeat custom and all of that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, one day, those people are like, they're not really delivering like they used to, or this isn't really working anymore. And they, they just cut ties without anything, you know? And they're just leaving that other person in a really vulnerable position when beforehand they were, they were closer to being on cloud nine, just being really comfortable. And that's the closest that we get to feeling like normal people with normal secure jobs, you know? So when that stopped happening, it was like, oh my God, I'm shit. I, I feel shit again. I never left. I never actually left this situation. And it's, it's really, it's really horrible, you know? And, um, I just give it up to anybody that can just go through this kind of process over and over again because it's character building, you know, is it, it really builds you up. It's not just character building. It just builds strength. It builds strength for you as a person all round. And, um, it's not an easy thing to do. I understand why people just feel like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to go do something else. I, I completely understand that. Yeah, it's, it is a, it's a cutthroat, wherever you are in the creative industries, it's cutthroat. And the ability to not let business decisions and business relationships affect personal, like interpersonal relationships. Yeah. It takes a lot of work. Like it's not, it's not fun to have to sit down with someone and, you know, cut professional ties, but say I still want to be friends because yeah, yeah, it could be like you're like right. I'm going to impact your life horribly financially, creatively, but you <laughs> still go to the pub and you're like, it's going to take some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, definitely. As people, you know, you can't you can't start your working relationship on a friendly level, right, and then decide when you want to cut it off and be business. You know. Well, you can. Obviously, people do it. It was done to me, you know. People can do it, but that's not the way that you should do it, you know. Like, if if it's going to be like that, it should be a working relationship or it should just be, there should be a lot of honesty to start up with, you know. It's be like, you know, I mean, obviously, nobody likes having these tough conversations at the start. Like, I think you're a great person. I think you're so talented. But at some point, this might not work, you know, but we'll give this a go. We'll give it a go. And just little things like that, you know, I mean, little things like that help. And, you know, you never really know where it's going to go. And you can say to some degree, we should manage our expectations, you know, and we should 100% be doing that. 
But it's hard to do that when people are coming at you on an emotional level. Uh, Yeah, having a degree of separation is important and it makes the process easier, but it's, it's easier said than done. Way easier said than done. Definitely, definitely, man. And I've come to realize that a lot more now. And when I think about that, I don't really get butthurt about it. You know, I, 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 I don't anymore, you know, like it's just it's just the nature of the beast. You know, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. When you've got something to offer, everyone wants to be your friend, you know, and when you don't, you're not going to you're not going to have any friends. <laughs> not, like that. not like that, you know. obviously all your like mixed experiences with all of the like plethora of things that you've been doing what where has that gotten you now what you give your job description what does that actually entail so the very first thing that I've always done which is just a singer and performer so I do that I write my own music and um uh, music for like DJs and stuff like that things that I can sort of perform on myself whether it be live or um just as sort of like commercial releases or sometimes underground releases. Um, so I do that, but I also, you can call me a vocal, a vocalist for hire, you know? So this is the freelancing part of it, you know, where labels like some were underground drum and bass labels, some are house labels, some are individuals and they come to me and they're like, I would love for you to vocal this, you know? Um, so this is kind of like, I'll get back to the other things that I do as well, but this is where I kind of made a change because beforehand, I guess before about three years ago, um, I was just like, people come to me and like, do you want to do a tune? I'm like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And what I would do is I would look at their following. I would look at their DJing and I'm getting loads of exposure and I just do the vocals for free. But then it came to a point where it was like, I was writing. So I'm also a writer as well. So I write for other people and I'm like, everyone else is getting paid, but the writer you don't get paid until this track gets accepted. You know, the producer gets paid for their uh, for their services, you know, and the writers don't. So it got to a point where I'm like, right, I need to take control of how I'm getting paid so I can kind of make, I don't know, so I can kind of have some kind of control over what's coming in every month or whatever. And also, like, you sift out the people that are serious and people that aren't. When you say, you know, there there is going to be a fee, you know, so... That's also what I do now, and that's a part of my business, and that also helps me mentally as well, that I am getting things done as well, you know. And that being said, I do one thing, and then people like it. Other people on the roster hear it, and then they come back to me, and that's how that kind of happens. So, uh, singer and performer, um, vocalist for hire, freelancer, uh, and I'm a songwriter. I will... So some labels will come to me, or some... Uh, managers, independent managers will come to me and they'll be like, right, I've got this artist, um, needs a little bit of help with writing or they're a good writer, but just needs a different perspective. And, um, obviously not now, but, um, I'll get in a studio with them and then we'll just write a song and then I get my cut, which is however many people's in a room, but let's just say there's three people in a room. Usually here in the UK, we'll just do a fair split of like 33 and a third. Americans are a lot more cutthroat with it. They're like, well, I think I had 33% and a half. How do you work that out? How do you work out that you did 33 point, uh, 33, what did I say? 36% 
point five. How do you work that out? I'm, I'm interested to know. Humor me, you know, but it's just like, that's fine. That That's the way that, that's that's how people, I don't know, people get what they want, but I guess there's knowing your audience as well. Because if you're in a room with cool people that are just happy to make music and just happily like, just split everything equally, then there's, there's nothing to argue about. But some people, there's a lot of people that bring an argument where there isn't an argument, you know. Um, but yeah, sorry, I've just sidetracked a little bit. <laughs> the Americans have no shame with just straight up saying what they want. Whereas I think, especially if you've got a room full of Brits, yeah, you're all gonna sit there and go, "Well, like, how much do you want? How much do you feel like you want?" Like, I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I'll shut up with that. Yeah, we're, we're just polite about it. It's like, should we just go? Should we just go? Uh, should we just go down the middle? All right, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> obviously it depends on whichever bit of work you're doing do you charge a deposit or like do you go right give me x percentage now and then when the project is done or vice versa like a kill fee for if you get halfway through putting a lot of work into something and they go nah actually i've said i don't want this right well the way i'll go around it um, is I'll always start by saying I charge a fee, this is my fee, and then I kind of want um, there are other royalties to be had on that as well. So I just have 50% of all the other royalties. Um, and if they're happy with that, then what I'll do is I'll write and record half of the song. And I said, do you like the direction that I'm going in? If you like the direction, then I'll go forward because I know if at that point... I've done, I've kind of done most of the work in terms of writing, but in terms of spending extra time and making everything sound good, I haven't actually put in that much effort to the point where it becomes work, you know? And I'm like, right, I could easily stop here. So if I've got an inkling that they're going to like anything else that I do from this point, I know I'm getting paid, you know? I know I'm getting paid. So what I'll do after that is I'll send them like an MP3 of the finished track, and then I'll just say, um, what I usually say is, um, my invoice is on delivery of the vocals. So I'll deliver the MP3. Uh, can you send me your invoice details, please? I get paid and I send all of the individual vocal parts over so they can start doing their work. And that usually works well for me. I mean, yeah, it's the same as anything. It's finding practice because sometimes you can, you know, things that you could comfortably confidently turn around and pitch to someone now 10 years ago you say it with a bit of a quiver in your voice and someone's like no not yeah, chance." exactly exactly and I hate that feeling where you're like oh I really need this one thing um do I say it now when do I say it? oh it doesn't feel right now you know I, I can't be British about this all the time <laughs> like you're saying I, I can't be like that so um like I, I have had situations where I did let it go to four. I kind of didn't. I was doing work with this one guy from France and his manager contacted me. I was like, right, we were negotiating a fee, decided on the fee. And he said, just to let you know, this guy is a bit picky. And I was like, so you might be going back and forth for a while. I was like, that's fine. I underestimated how picky this guy was. He's oh, French, Jay. He's I tried, I, I, I tried not to let that get in there, um, but I was just like, right, um, no matter what I've heard about this guy or what I think he's going to be like, 
I just got, I kind of got to take it as, I thought I was going to be the one to change him. I think that's what it was. <laughs> How many times have you had that thought? <laughs> Every girl ever. <laughs> I was going to be the one to change him. And I wasn't, I wasn't special enough. Um, and then, uh, he was like, I think this is sounding really good. I was like, okay, cool. Um, shall we talk about the invoice now? Can you send me your details? And he was like, I think the next email he sent, he was like, um, actually, I'm not sure if this is for me, but like, feel free to use it for yourself. If I use it for myself, that means I'm paying myself, right? That doesn't work out. I'm like, well, no, it doesn't really work out for what I'm doing. It's a disco song. Like, I've put in all of this work. I've done like four versions for you, you know, rewrites and all of that kind of thing. And then he comes back and he was like, I thought we were just making some music together. I'm sorry if you just saw this as like a pay. And I was like, a pay thing. I was like, yeah, yeah, I did see it like that. You know, like, I'm not wasting my time here. You know, like, this is my time. I need to be paid for my time. Got his manager back involved. And, oh, I don't even know. I, I think I, in the end, I just, I think his manager wanted to release it on another label. And then they would pay me. And I was like, you know what? I just want you out of my life now. So I was like, Do you know what? I'm sorry I don't believe in this song anymore. Um, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it money is how the world works. It might not be the fun side of things, it might not be the way everyone wants it to work, but you can't, you know, there's only so much free shit a creative can put out there. Yeah. And once you've gotten to a point of, you know, you're used to charging for your work, it's substantial, you've got a good track record of, you know, paid for work. Yeah. You're not fresh out, just starting out. You know, the fact that people still expect, oh, well, you're, you en- you enjoy this. You're a creative. You enjoy this. Like, surely you'll be, you'll be able to do it for free or let's not mention the word exposure. Yeah, exactly. I'm not on it. I'm, I'm not on that anymore. Get exposure with somebody. Give someone else this exposure. Whatever. If I can actually see, obviously, like, you put a song out, you never know what I was going to do. Even if it's with someone that's done really, really well, your song might be the one that flops, you know? You, you really, really don't know. It could be someone that's unknown, that does stupidly well, and then, like, everything that they talk about on the radio is like, this guy was nowhere. He was just in his bedroom making music before nothing was going on. All of a sudden, he's got a private jet and all of that kind of stuff. So you don't know who's going to be your golden goose, so to speak. So you have to attack every new venture, every new piece of work, every client, just like the last, so you can maintain um, a, a certain level of sanity and also like lifestyle, like we were talking before. So I need this much money to take this and be able to do this. Like, how open are? Obviously, my experience is I'm not. I'm not in the music industry. I'm not a singer songwriter. My experience with design work and with illustration especially people are so closed off about pricing and about fees it takes so much effort like um but yeah i do find that a little bit difficult i found that with like pr companies and stuff and radio pluggers um uh, a lot of them do have well i've seen a bunch that do have their prices online but i've seen a lot especially the more successful ones that don't have a price on their website maybe that's them wanting to i don't know sift through the kind of people like filter get a filter through the kind of people that actually email them you know because if there isn't any if there isn't anything up there 
you know, a lot of people might just be like, no, nah, I'm going to go for somewhere else that shows me what my budget will sort of cater for, you know, whereas if someone's got a little bit of capital and just like, right, I'm willing to pay, I don't know, about a thousand pounds or something like that, or 1500 quid for um, a, a campaign, I'm going to email this, all right, my artist has done this, that, and a third, and um, how much are you, how much are you charging, you know, and then they can look at your artist, check him out, they can either get back to you or never again, you know, and then that's when that sort of happens, so I understand it, but it's very frustrating for people that are starting or just wanting to maintain. You know, for design work, especially for the amount you charge for an individual or a very, very small company is not the same as you're going to charge a a bigger company. So in that respect, it's a scale. It's a scaling system. But it's the fact that there's nothing out there. There's no reference point for like where it starts and where it ends. So I don't know. Is it the same with if you go and someone says, right, I want to book you to perform? I'm guessing that ranges. Well, that's that's the comparison that I was going to give you, actually. Um, especially when you're starting um, and maybe you've got a little bit of a following or you've got no following and you know you want to get paid, you know you need to get paid, um, but you don't know how much, no idea of what they're willing to pay you, you know? So it's a real difficult kind of thing there, really. And it's just like, it's like you don't want to ask people how much they're getting paid, you know? Like, it's almost like if we were at the, like, if we were out and about or like we were at a pub or whatever, unless you got to the point where you feel comfortable with someone, you wouldn't just come out and go, yo, how much did you get paid for that job? You know, it's like that. It's like that. And it's like, you don't really want to ask people that, but I think somehow you need to, like, I think I did that to start with. I was asking a friend that was doing really well how much he got paid. And I was like, right, I clearly know that I'm nowhere near where you are. So I need to scale it all the way down and then maybe speak to some other people that are willing to speak to me as well and goes, oh, I've got this amount for this gig. And then now I have to think about, I have to be real with myself again and be like, where do I actually feel that I'm at? You know, because no one's going to tell me how much I'm worth. So you have to kind of figure it out for yourself, kind of, you know, like I can't go too high and I don't want to go too low. So what do I think I could bring to this gig? How how much do I feel like I, I can sweet up this promoter, you know? Because it, it's it's a, it's a relationship. I feel like people don't want to pay, especially like promoters. Like they, especially if you don't, if you're not gonna bring money into their club or their venue, you know, they're not really gonna want to pay you that much, you know. So everyone's got an angle. Everyone's got costs to cover from you to the promoters to the venues. So it is a game for everyone. It is a game for everyone. I completely understand that. But for someone trying to get on, like that's where free gigs do come into it. Or there is, there, there is the like making friends with people, the networking, you know, like I've done that. Loads of other people have done that, you know, got in with people, then they put you on to this show and then you get a little following. You're like, right, I did that. I did really well. Can, um, how about, you guys pay me this next time and it's only going up by like 50 quid a time you know so it's not enough that they're losing out a lot but it's enough where you feel like you're progressing you know so it is somewhat the same in music but it is a little bit more open like I said I was able to get a base kind of understanding until I got signed and I had a booking agent and that booking agent was getting me a certain fee and they were the person in between they could see what I was doing. The promoters could see everything that I was doing. So they could probably expect what they might be paying for someone like me. 
you know it depends where you're at it really depends where you're at uh, completely same as anything the bigger you get the more the more you can charge and are justified in charging doing gigs and you know pitching yourself to venues and stuff like that that is that is freelancing that is you know you're going out there and going and pitching to people and going can someone just pay me money <laughs> you do this thing that i do yeah this was what in bristol you were sort of going out and yeah 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 I mean, like I said, it started, or like you just said, yeah, it was in Bristol that it just starts out, you know. Like I said, like, people that you know putting on shows, and you do do a fair bit of playing for very cheap or for free, you know, until you start sort of getting a bit of a following, you know. Because um, if you haven't done anything, no one's really got any obligation or reason to pay you unless they like what you do, they like your music, and they just want to give you a platform, you know. Um, maybe to be the person that was like, I put that person on first and now this person has a loyalty to me to come back and pay for cheaper, you know? Um, so there is that. And there's also like, I guess when you do so many of them, you build up a little following. So like I did a show last year, um, at the Crofters, um, and it's not a massive venue, but it was sold out, which was great. And saying that to anyone, you know, it's like, look, I've done this, I've done that, and then I did this show very recently, and I sold that out, and um, I've just done another one as well, and that was sold out to my streams for that last single, done this and that, and all of a sudden you've got more of a story and things, to, you've got more sort of tangible evidence to show that you are worth what you're asking for, you know, and then people are like, promoters or anyone else are more, uh, less reluctant to say no or um, I'm going to give you peanuts. They're going to take you more seriously. Obviously, as with anything like this, it is primarily word of mouth and who you know, not what you know. But is there, was there, or is there anywhere Bristol-based or UK sort of generalised that is a website or a person or a source that you could go to to find this kind of information? Like if you're someone who wants to start trying to get booked for venues or is it going to be a case of go to a venue find someone to speak to it's amazing how many people in the creative industry are creative industries are so tight-lipped it's amazing how many people there are like that you know and it goes all the way across from the design world to the music world um it really does so um this is also where I find that I can make some money because I do talks. <laughs> I do um, like mentoring and that kind of thing as well. And a part of development programs because it is so difficult to find out this information. You know, yeah, there are more things online, but it's more broad, you know, because people are just speaking to a, a wide audience of people. So it can't really be very all the way specific, you know, and it works differently for everybody at different points of time, you know, just because I give you this information doesn't mean you're going to go out there and make like half a million pounds off of gigging this year. You know, it doesn't mean, so you have to gather loads of bits of information and there aren't lots of information like that out there. You know, some people are going to be very tight lipped because they want to get booked again and they're doing very well out of doing this and they've realized how to actually make a business out of doing it. And then you just get other people that was like, right, cool, give me this. I genuinely want to help these people and give them some kind of idea because not everybody has, I guess, the know-how to kind of make something from nothing, 
you know, or even the patience, you know, and it is a part of the grind. So you need to learn all of those things. But at the same time, just a little nudge in the right direction. It goes a long way, I feel. So, yeah, to answer your question, there is, but it isn't that straightforward. And I guess as well, it's, it's, it's the competitive side of it. You know, if you're asking, if you're asking a promoter or someone at a venue how much something is, it's different to going and finding someone else who's also trying to get booked. Yeah. Or has a booking and doesn't, you know, that can get taken away from them if they find someone they think could be better. Yeah. Um, so it's that sense of, as you say, trying to be nice and be helpful, but also you you do have to think about yourself at the end of the day. Definitely, definitely. Um, also, speaking to other, in terms of like finding out prices and stuff like that and what people are charging so you can kind of get an idea of what you should be charging, kind of doing what you were doing as well. Like that's the first thing you should be doing, which you've done, you know, going out there and asking your peers, people that are on your level, even the level above where you're at. You know, so they're in the door a little bit and they've got more of an idea than you do. And they're like, I guess you've got the dialogue going. You've got a relationship more with them. Um, well, a relationship enough to be like, let's just have an open conversation about how I get on, you know, how I get started. Like, can you give me an idea of how, like what certain people are being charged, uh, what are charging or what I should be charging being at where I am? Uh, bearing in mind, I've done nothing just yet. So it's going to be kind of like a base sort of flat sort of fee on what they're what they're willing to pay me and what I feel comfortable accepting as well because you don't have to accept anything there's a lot of people that won't do a gig or yeah they won't do a gig of any kind whether it's music or another field until they feel like right I've hit the jackpot with that one and then now my first experiences are all going to be top level you know that's that was one of the hardest things that I've I've had to do not you know once or twice and I've known other people that have had to do it just because someone comes to commission you whether it's for a piece of artwork a song anything like that if you discuss fees or they you kind of go right what's what kind of budget are you looking at if they give you a number that you know is not realistic for you no matter how early on in your career you've got to make a decision at some point of what you're worth yeah. and not to undervalue yourself because the second you start going you know that's obviously my experience with uh if i'm selling like a piece of artwork or a portrait or something like that people are so used to going online and paying 15 30 quid yeah for a print or something like that and you have to turn around to people and say you know i'm not going to undervalue it undervalues my work but it undervalues every other creative as well absolutely absolutely i was speaking to a friend um, who recently sort of like started doing really well with like um, like becoming a mixing engineer and he was saying other mixing en- and he was better than a lot of the current top mix engineers who were getting the current price and he was in the same situation he didn't really know what to charge but he was like I'm going to charge this and um, it actually ended up being that it was a little bit lower than what everyone else was charging but he was doing a better job than all of them so all the work was coming to him and because he was kind of undercutting everybody like people weren't that happy not a lot of people like maybe one or two people but they weren't that happy but that's it as well you do have to think about um that especially i just starting to gain some success but i do think whilst negotiating prices and stuff like that or, or fees 
I think it is important if you're unsure to um, set your fee a little bit higher and then work down. It's exactly what I do. And I've sat there and armed and nerd. I, I was doing one last year. I was sat there and trying to figure out like the final price. I'd gotten the idea. I've gotten the size of the piece they wanted. I've gotten, you know, how many uh, people they want involved, what kind of detail, any additional bits, whether they want it printed, whether they want a digital version. I had all the information and finally had to kind of come up with a finalized price. Yeah. And I'm sat there going, this feels a bit high. I was at that point where I'd, I'd put it up slightly from the pieces I'd done before because yeah. I'd done a couple of pieces. Everyone had okayed the prices, and I'm like, right, good. This shows that people are happy with this price range. I'm going to bump it up a bit. I've got more experience. I've got more portfolio. And you sit there with the sort of finger hovering over the press send button, and you're like, oh, I don't what if they say no? And I was sat with someone who's like, if they say no, you can then go back and say, right, I can do it for X amount less. I can knock this much off. But if you'd gone in with that lower number and you then had to knock money off, yeah, that's a double loss. Like the, yeah. the higher you start, the less you lose along the way. Yeah. And I feel like that's what a lot of, um, like I was saying, like the PR companies, they do that as well. I think they start a number that they offer a load of other people, but also, um, a number that they wouldn't mind dropping a little bit as well because I've had conversations with people like oh do you know what I haven't got 1500 quid to, to spend on that campaign and I'm like all right I'll do it for 1200 I'm like bro you're not listening to me I said I haven't got money like that it's like all right 850 all right I'll do it for that okay cool so so you know it is like getting used to negotiating and not feeling bad for um setting yourself a little bit higher um, thinking that you're not worth that because you 100% are if you're have if you're in a position where you're negotiating, you know. Also, I think where I set my price a little bit higher is when there aren't sort of set sort of things. So if someone said to me, "How much are you? How much are you going to charge? How much do you want to charge for this?" You know. So let's just say this: if someone charged, if someone asked me to do a full track, I've got a set fee. All right. There's no if buts maybe about it and it's a price that a lot of people are happy with. All right. But if I if someone comes to me and it goes, right, I just want you to I want you to do a resing. And what a resing is, is um if someone has let's just say someone samples Beyonce. Alright? Someone samples Beyonce, there's they need to get clearance from the writers and the record label that released the original. But a way to get around that kind of is to get someone else to resing it. Right, because then all they've got to do is get permission from the writers on the track, and you can do that from contacting the publishers. It's a little bit, a little bit hard, but it's easier than getting both. Right. So going back to the recing, if it's just a few like ad libs here or there, like a few like I don't know, little vocal sort of gymnastic things, you know, and then maybe just covering a chorus, it's a little bit unclear as to how much you should be charging because you're not writing it you know that goes into it as well you're not writing it so there's time like your time isn't really a big issue right there um and you're not covering a lot of a lot of space so something like that is usually around 200 pounds or something like that standard 200 250 um and um someone said came to me a label came to me and said can you do this recent yeah sure cool sent it back and they're like yeah we love it i'm like right I, um there's gonna be a fee how about um how about 350 and then just work down from that and they go we can do 300 okay cool so i've made like 150 to 100 pounds 
profit on top of what I would have usually of usually expected from something like that, you know? And it, People say yes, and at the end of the day, the worst thing someone says is no. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But people people will still say yes every now and again and that gives more gives a bit more value or monetary value to your work and over time means that you know you you sell enough at 200 you then go up to pitching people for 350 300 you sell enough at 300 you then feel more comfortable to go 400 450 yeah yeah exactly 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 so like especially if you're getting a lot of that kind of work in it does tend to sort of add up and add up and add up and that kind of thing and it's like it becomes a good living you do have people that just do that and that's their career in music and 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 that's absolutely cool you know and this is something that I'm actually fairly new to you know it's all just been about me doing my thing and maybe doing a vocal feature here and there but actually being a part of the mechanics of a song you know I realized that there is quite a bit of money to to be made there especially people like what I do which quite a lot of people have you know from these companies so I do have a certain level of confidence when it comes to delivering and what I'm asking for so I, I think it is all like it's, it's repetition so you have to get used to it to feel comfortable with it but you do kind of have to have a sort of lay of the land where you're like I think they're going to go for this I think they're going to be comfortable with this ballpark that I'm giving them they're going to be comfortable either going for it or negotiating with it not just going straight on when I want a thousand pounds for doing a chorus, you know, unless like you're, I don't know, what's that girl's name, like Anne-Marie or something like that for doing that, you know, and they know they're going to get a lot of people. They're probably going to make a lot of money. They're going to make that money back straight away. You know, I'm sure she would charge a lot more for something like that, you know, like up in the tens and twenties, but I don't know. But unless you're that person, you've got to set your sights a little lower because um, you don't want to scare people away, especially if you think you need it. It's how much you need, like what you think you're going to get from it. And there are situations where I would do things for th- for free as well. It's knowing when to do things for free. And this isn't just music. It's across the board. If you think that the opportunity that you're going to get is going to be, I don't know, it's going to bring in a lot more work or it's going to bring a lot more money or whatever. Um, and all you've got to do is sacrifice getting paid this time around. Do it. If you think it's worth it, then do it, you know, because you'll be further along than if you would have let this one go. Matching the investment and the return for you. Yes, definitely. Definitely. What about with reworking? So if you sort of get an idea of a fee and you end up with, like for example earlier, someone who is really picky and just keeps wanting things reworked, keeps wanting things changed, and it drags on longer than, you know, how do you work out at that point going, right, you get so many reworks, and then fees are incurred? Yeah, yeah. Um, So with me, I'd feel a little bit bad if I started this process, and then maybe after about two versions, I'm then saying there's a fee, you know, because then you're kind of reeling someone in to a whole kind of, I don't know, it isn't what they thought it was going to be, and that's not really fair to do that. But if that's been set out, it's all good, they like it, but they keep going back and forth, I'd say, depending on how much they want me to do, because if it's just add a few more vocals here and there, I'll go back maybe two or three times before I say, do you know what, if I do anything more, I'm going to need to put um, my 
I'm going to need to put the price up a little bit because this is actually taking up more time. And you need to say that with energy and you need to say that with power, you know, because it is true. Your chest. With your chest. <laughs> <laughs> you need to say it with your chest. I was trying to find another way of saying that. But yeah, you need to say it with your chest because it's like, look, I'm not being unreasonable here. What you're trying to do is trying to get me to work for free. You know, on top of what I've like, like get get the earlier work out of the way. This has nothing to do with that now. You're trying to you're trying to um uh you're trying to abuse the situation because you are technically paying me here, but all of this like that's for the work that was done. You're asking me to do a lot more. Does this just mean that we go back and forth forever? And I mean forever because you paid me once. Where did we stop here? This is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, this was working out. So do you work out? Sort of in that kind of situation, it's it's almost like if you worked at an hourly rate and then bunched it into one block cost, the more you work on it, the more your hourly rate reduces as you go through spending more time on it. Yeah, um, right, yeah. So do you, the way you price, I mean, obviously you've got examples now, you've worked enough that you've worked with other people and you know what other people are charged, you know what the rough cost of things are, but is it within music and things like, within like writing music and producing music, sort of a, do you tend to charge like a block amount for a project or do you go by hourly rates or hourly rates um it is usually just for the project you know um if uh, a producer for example is doing um i mean it's kind of up to the the the, the person I, i don't know the person with all the power really the producer really they could say all right um for a five track ep um, uh, just give me two thousand pounds, you know. But somebody else might turn around and say, "I want five hundred a track," you know, or or a thousand a track. Sorry, I want a thousand a track, and all of a sudden, like the the other people are paying even more money. Um, so it's really up to the person with all the power. Um, in terms of like getting to that position where you're like, right, I feel like I fulfilled um our original agreement. I've delivered. Um, and then they keep asking me to do more and stuff. And it gets to a certain point, there isn't any industry kind of, um, I don't know, I don't know the technical word for this, but I mean, there isn't any industry sort of like price for stuff that goes outside of the agreement to sort of add on top of it. All right, you've got to pay me an extra 30% or extra 15% for any work that goes past um, our agreement. You know, there isn't that. So I think, again, it just comes to yourself. It comes down to yourself. I'm like, right, how much do I actually feel is being fair to the other person and also being fair to myself? So if I ask him for whatever he's asking me to do, let's just say he keeps coming back and wants me to do more writing on the third verse and then also add like five layers of vocals plus harmonies and that's just tweaking and tweaking on my side and getting it right i'll i'll charge them an extra 100 to 150 pounds i think that's fair to say you know that might scare some people off i'm like look as good as it is believe me take it or leave it or pay me what i'm asking for more than happy to do extra work well not for free What is it that you're up to this these days? You said you've got through lockdown and things you've been trying to help out with sort of doing talks and helping people kind of get some information out there for people who are, you know, whether it's sort of youth groups or people starting out. 
but what is it prior to lockdown? What was your what was your life looking like work-wise? So um, I, the last sort of like, say, uh, I've been doing this off and on for the last few years, but I've been, for the last eight months, I've been sort of doing more youth work and sort of artist development. With the Colson Hall, they had a program um, sort of selecting a bunch of up-and-coming artists that are at a position where they want to start putting music out into the world. But they don't really have any, they're, they're in danger of falling into the trap of so many other up-and-coming musicians, you know, signing bad contracts, not knowing what to look out for. So in I come, Colson Hall sort of pays me to come in and be um, a mentor. And um, and that is just to give some, so they have someone that sort of leads the project and he'll do development weeks. This week is just going to be on performance. Next week is going to be on marketing. Um, the week after that's going to be on, um, I don't know, networking or stuff like that, you know, or contracts. That stuff happens and then I intercept and I'm like, and I'm, and I break it down to them um, into a language that they can understand. That's what I do, you know, um, from personal experience. Because otherwise, it's just like being at school and being taught by people that have kind of done this. Or maybe they've gone, they, maybe they've studied this, but they haven't actually done it, you know? So you're not actually, you're just, taking in information that isn't useful to you outside. So me being there, they actually do have people that have done it, but they're a little bit older. So they've got me there and I'm like, look, I've done this. I'm currently doing this and I've done this within the last sort of six, seven years. And this is how it's kind of working now, but it is subject to change because that's just what happens, you know? So I do that and I also do some youth work and that kind of goes along alongside with the council and um, some of it is studio based. So we've got a really good studio, top of the line equipment, and I record them, give them advice. And um, on the flip side of that as well, the council work that I do with them um, is like there. It's called um, Target Youth Services. So some of them like music and I mentor them through music. But some of them are, have like been kicked out of school, have problems with families. Maybe they've got some mental health um, issues, but they've also got um, professional teams around them. But they get me there to speak with them every week or meet up with them every week, you know. And then we use something that they're interested in, whether it's music or like they like animals or something like that, or they want to play pool or something like that. We just meet up, have a friendly conversation, but also talk, be that person in between, um, I guess, their parents and whether it's education or employment, you know, or the authorities or, or all these other people that are telling them what to do. So we have calm conversations and I'm just there to be the middle person, just to listen and also give them advice, but not bark at them, you know, and it's just great work. A lot of these guys are doing music, so there's a lot of knowledge that I can sort of impart on them um but there's also some that aren't into music and they just they just need some help they just want they just need someone to talk to you know so where obviously I can't meet up with them I've just been either doing video calls there's one kid that I'm doing a video call with and um, I'm helping him with his DJ and like I'm fairly new to the DJ game myself but I'm at least four five steps ahead of him you know so I've been teaching him found an online sort of dj um um website and then we just play tunes i let him do whatever he wants you know and then we just just sort of talk and it's just quite cool you know so that's how i've been able to sort of feel like i'm 
giving back, doing my 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 bit in the community. Um, also keeping it all within music and making a living within this tough time. You know um, that, and also the vocal work that I've been doing. Those things um, in combination has made me not be able to. Uh, sorry, has made me not want to stress. Like I, I don't, I'm not stressed right now. You know, you know things can always be better, but like like. They've definitely been worse, you know. <laughs> They've definitely been worse. Could be worse now, yeah. Absolutely. That's really cool then. That sounds really like absolutely using your skill set, but like spiritually very fulfilling as well. Spiritually very fulfilling, you know. And also, um, if I wasn't doing all of that stuff, I think I'd be stressing out about making music to make money, you know. Whereas now I'm making new music and I'm not stressing out about it and I'm kind of letting just giving it time to breathe um, making something sitting back sending it around and just be like oh, i might make music today i might not make music today you know just being like that instead of treating it like something i like that's that, that, that um treating it like something i depend on you know like i do love it i absolutely love it but even working in an office you leave you know if you you love doing something you know even though if, if it's it could be something creative and people that work in an office, you leave it there, you know, and you come home knowing that you're going to pick it back up the next day. You know, mentally, it's like you have that that cut off point, you know, but with this, especially like during lockdown, we're all in the same place. So I'm doing music and I'm doing the other work and I'm chilling in the same area, you know, so it, it can be a little bit difficult um, still, but I'm happy and I have. I have enough sort of space in my mind, um, sort of do it all and not like completely freak out. You need like headspace outside of that. Your passion and your hobby becomes all consuming yeah. and you have no headspace outside of that. Mm, mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're treating your passion like, like a dirty whore for lack of a better word. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of nurturing it and like treating it like the queen it is, you know, <laughs> like you're treating it so dirty and it just, it just like, it changes the way you think about it and it just becomes so, so stressful and like you build up this whole mental thing around it where you're just upset every time you think about music because you can't help but thinking about what you could or should be getting, um, should be getting, you know, what other people are getting and what you're not getting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The worst, the worst feeling in the world is sitting down and having to do, like having to do something creative, whether it's for, you know, school, for uni, for college or for money or for a job and dreading it. Yeah. And like having an actual feeling of dread about something that is, that is your passion, that is, you know, is an outlet for you. And mm. that's something to be avoided. And whether that means you take a day off, you take a couple of months off from doing that thing, sometimes it just needs to happen. Yeah, 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 it's exactly. And don't get me wrong, there are points where you're passionately in love with something and you just need a break from it, you know? Like, I mean, even parents need a break from their children, you know? <laughs> Anything you want to plug at the moment? Anything that's like going to come out going to be coming out soon or anything you want to be plugging that's sort of a recent thing even if it's just your Thursday Wednesday night Instagram live DJ set <laughs> yeah 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 um so I have a few things so I have a 
Um, I have two collaborations about to come out. There's this um, underground electronic duo called Koan Sound, and I've just done a feature with them. That comes out tomorrow. Um, and um, a, 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 DM, a drum and bass duo um, called Polo and Bryson, and got a feature with them coming um, sometime soon. I don't know when. Uh, that's going to be cool. Um, also, something to look forward to, I've got a brand new project, so it's going to be a little bit different from my um, music that I've been putting out, especially in the last year. Um, it's going to be a lot more soul, a lot more R&B, and a lot more thought about, and um, that's um, something that I'm working on at the moment, and I'm not sure when that's going to come out, but I'm really, really loving the music. I, I feel really happy with this music it's a lot more me um it's a lot more freeing to do and i feel really confident in it as well um also another thing i've um i'm i'm making some beer as well <laughs> i'm really excited about it <laughs> really excited about it it's called mac daddy hayes uh, i made some last summer and um i'm gonna be making some again you know if it, if it doesn't um I don't know. If it doesn't taste like shit every time I make it now, uh, I might just start sort of selling it to some people, you know? But yeah, that's something I'm really excited about. Nothing that's officially coming out, but yeah, I'm just happy about that. Another sort of creative um, uh, lane that I'm going down. I would have get like a Javen branded t-shirt. I've had a friend that's actually asked me, it was like, if I buy, um, if I buy a t-shirt, can I get a, a, a beer for a discounted price or something like that? And I'm like, I have a t-shirt. I have beers. Um, yes, my good man. I think you have a deal. <laughs> is this, is this a new project? <laughs> Shit, I gave it away. <laughs> Amazing.